Well, you know which book you need to turn to. Isn't that the beauty of it? We've come before the Lord. We've given Him praise. We've given Him glory. We've come before Him asking Him to bless us. Coming before Him with matters that are on our hearts. And now we come before Him as He speaks to us through His Word so that we would be changed, so that we would be able to put arms around each other, uphold each other, and then go from this place and speak and live for Christ. That's why we're here. And as we do that, I'd ask you just to put aside your own little personal beliefs, those little pet things that you hold on to, that you'd be open to what God's Word is saying. His Word is truth. Our beliefs are not truth. Let His Word speak into your heart and then be changed by Him. Let's just bow before Him and ask for His blessing as we open His Word. Lord, thank You that when we open Your Word, we know that we are being confronted with truth, that these words that we are reading are the words given to, you, given to us by you, Lord, breathed out, your very words breathed out to us, and that we can believe them and ask you to apply these truths in our hearts. Lord, take away any preconceived ideas and notions we have, and may we look with open eyes to see what your word is saying to us today. Push aside those things which would be a stumbling block to us and keep us from hearing. Speak to us, all of us, we pray. Amen. Our text this morning is the first two verses in the first letter that the Apostle Peter wrote. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. And we're just going to read them together. This is what God's Word says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. We remember as we looked at last week that the Apostle Peter was here writing to believers who had escaped execution and who had now fled into the whole of Asia Minor, or Turkey, and they were fleeing for their lives. But as they were going, they were speaking and living the gospel. And by doing that, they were actually attracting more persecution. And they were attracting more fingers pointed at them. And when the pressure got too much, they'd have to move on. And with them went the gospel all over the world. And that was part of God's plan. 
might not have been part of their plan, but it was part of God's plan. And the Apostle Peter is writing to these believers. He's writing to remind them that they are exiles in that world that, he, that they are being sent into. That they are not to settle down and get comfortable in that world, but that they are to remember that they are scattered messengers. The Lord is sending them out into the world and though things are hard, they still need to go out and they are to deliberately live the gospel message. They are there deliberately scattered by God and they have a mission. And what is that mission? That mission is summed up in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. You should all know that verse. That mission that they had was to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's their mission. And the the Apostle Peter is writing to them. Now we get to the second part of this verse. And he is giving them even more encouragement. He says, it's not just that you are exiles and that God knows about you and that he's deliberately put you into these situations, but here's some more added strength for you. God has also chosen you. He's chosen you for this task. And he's got all three persons of the Trinity that are involved in your experience every day. You're not alone. You're going through this with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that have been involved. And then he goes on to explain that very shortly. And he'll come back to this again later in this letter. But in this introduction he says, You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You've been chosen by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and then to be sprinkled with His blood. So how is the Trinity involved in their calling? How is the Trinity involved in this mission of theirs, in their Christian existence every day, as they run around fearing for their lives? Well, firstly, we see there that he says, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He states the truth of God the Father's choosing them, or sovereign election as we call it now, for what it is. A simple, and it's not that simple, but it's a reality that that the early church recognized and accepted for what it was. They didn't even debate it as we do today. They accepted it for what it was. Their election was based on God's foreknowledge. What does that mean? What does foreknowledge of the Father mean? Well, the first thing it means is that the Father has a knowledge from eternity past that He would send His Son into the world to save the world. God had a definite plan for mankind. How do we know that? Scripture tells us. If we turn to Acts chapter 2, I'd ask you to turn there with me. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. This is where that word foreknowledge is used again. And where it's used, we must really look and pay attention. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. And again it's the Apostle Peter speaking. He's giving his sermon at Pentecost. And this is what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, 
this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, when Jesus was killed, a lot of those people must have thought, what now? He's dead. But he says to them, no, hang on. God knew this was going to happen. God had a plan already way back in eternity past that he was going to send his son to die for mankind. So election is all about God and his plan of salvation. It's not about us. It's not about him choosing us. It's about God and his glory and his plan. It revolves around him. We just get the flow-on effects of that plan. How? Well, God put his love into action by starting or initiating a relationship with those that he chose in eternity past. Way back in eternity. How do we know that? How do we know that God the Father started a relationship with people that were not even there yet? How do we know that? The Bible tells us. Let's go back to Scripture. Old Testament, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. He's speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. This is what he says to him. Pay attention to these words. Because there are unchanging principles in these words. Even though he was speaking to Jeremiah, an individual, there are things here that do not change. Listen to these words. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb. Alright, Jeremiah's not there yet. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's foreknowledge. And before you were born, look at this. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I'd already set you apart. And I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So here's Jeremiah, God speaking to him, and God saying to him, Before you were even there, before I even made you, I knew you already, Jeremiah. And I'd already set you apart for a specific thing to do. What is that? I had already appointed you to be a prophet. Already back then. And then sometime in history, at God's appointed time, little baby Jeremiah was born. And from there on, the rest is history. Do you see what foreknowledge is? God the Father knew. And God the Father acted to make that happen. And why? For His glory. For His eternal plan. Before Jeremiah even existed, he was known by God, set apart for a specific purpose in God's plan, and then appointed at the specific time in history. But God's foreknowledge is not just about having a plan and centering His attention on individuals. God then goes about decreeing His relationships into reality. He makes them happen. So God says, I've appointed you, and then God goes about making that happen. That's still part of election. Think of a mathematician. By foreknowledge, they can know that at a specific date and time, an eclipse will happen. They know it. They can work it out on their calculators. They can look at everything that's happening around them, bring that into their calculations, and they know at that and that day, on that and that time, down to nearly a second, they, they can already work out 
that an eclipse will happen. But here's the difference between them and God. By working it out like that, can they make it happen? No. God can. God makes it happen. That's the difference between man's foreknowledge and God's foreknowledge. What God knows, what God determines, He makes happen. This is more than passive foresight. God the Father decrees a relationship into being. He's the active party. Guess what? Man is the passive recipient in election. And I can already hear questions coming up. Keep them. We'll get to them. This is all of God's grace. It's got nothing to do with man or his merit. Man is not even around yet when God starts this plan of choosing. It's not possible for man to even influence God's decision. Why? Because he's not around. How can he influence God and God's decisions? Now there are those who say today, and they've said this a few years now in history, it's called Arminianism, there are those who say that God uses his supernatural knowledge of the future to look into the future and to see which people are going to choose him and which aren't. And then God decides, okay, those that choose me, I am going to choose. And those who don't choose me, I won't choose. It's called Arminianism. And there are many believers who believe that. And they are dear brothers and sisters. I'm not saying they're doomed to hell. They are dear brothers and sisters. But they need to go and look at the Bible again and go and revise their beliefs. Because that is not what Scripture believes. That is not what Scripture says to us. Why do I say that? I'll give you three verses that, sh- that show the opposite of that. Firstly, by believing that they are making man sovereign in election instead of God, and also, and worse, making Jesus out to be a liar. Why? Because in John chapter 15, verse 16, listen to what Jesus said. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now that's not difficult. It's not very complicated. Secondly, by believing this, they give man undue credit for his own salvation, allowing him to share the glory that belongs only to God. Why do I say that? Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, look at what God's word says. It's for by grace you have been saved through faith. And even that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God knew very well that he can't allow human beings to first choose and then he'll decide. He's got to do it because us little human beings, we are so quick for that pride to come up in us. And you say, you know, I had something to do with my own choosing of God. We are so proud so quickly. God knew. And so he stated it in Scripture and then he made it happen. Thirdly, by believing that, it assumes that fallen man can and will search after God. But is that true? Will fallen man, can they search after God and will they search after God? What do we know? What does Scripture say? Romans 3 verses 11 says this, There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Now that's not hard either. There is no one. That means no one. 
who understands. Why can't we understand? Because we are dead spiritually. Spurgeon said, dead corpses can't make decisions. If there's a corpse lying in the grave and it can still decide about things, it's not dead, is it? It's in deep trouble, but it's not dead. Dead corpses can't make decisions. When we haven't got spiritual life that has been put into us, how can we make spiritual decisions? We can't. We are dead spiritually. The Bible says we, are, we can't see. We haven't got spiritual eyes. God has to do that in us. And that's why it's all of Him and none of us. You know what our problem is? It's pride. We just can't accept that we've got nothing to do with our own election. We've got nothing to do with our own decisions and our own salvation. But the Bible says it's all of God. None of us. Now, there's a different question. Can I understand this fully? Now, here I have to say no. I can't. I can't understand all this. It's an antinomy. What is an antinomy? I put it up there. I nearly got stuck on my own word. An antinomy. The word anti means against and the word nomos means a law. It's against the law of human logic. I can't understand everything in Scripture. It's like understanding three persons of the Trinity but they are one. They are separate persons but they are one. I can't understand that. It's against, it's, my little human logic's too small. But I have to believe it. Why? Because God says so. It's a step of faith then. And not everything that we read in Scripture we can understand. Some of this we've got to accept by faith. That's why God is God and we are human beings. Because if we could understand everything here, we would be God. And so I am happy to accept that God chose me because He said so. The old adage is true. Just because you can't understand something doesn't mean it isn't true. Now I can hear another question. So does that mean I'm a robot? That I don't make any decisions, bitty bitty. I just do whatever God tells me to do. Is that, is that true? No, that's not true either. Because there comes a day, listen to this, there comes a day in every person's life who becomes a believer that they respond to God and they choose to follow Him. There must come that day when you choose to follow God. But it is a response to the work He's already started in you way back in eternity, before you even existed. And then His Holy Spirit comes and He calls you and He starts, give, he starts turning your head and your ear on to spiritual things. And then there comes that day when He calls you by name and then you respond and you say, Yes, Lord, I come to you in faith. So yes, it's 100% God. But it's also 100% us and our response and our repentance and faith before Him. But it's 100% of what God has given to us. It's a gift from God. Now I know there will still be people with questions regarding this. Come and see me and let's talk about this. Let's go to God's Word and see what God's Word says. Let's set aside our beliefs and believe His Word for what it is. But now think back to Peter's original hearers. They're hearing this. They're scattered all over the place. People are chasing them around, wanting to kill them. And Peter's saying, remember, you are chosen by God. Way back in eternity, He chose you for this very purpose. 
There's a predetermined relationship that the Heavenly Father's got with you. You've got a divine tracking and navigation system looking after you. Why? Because God knows where you are. How does He know? He's put you there. He's sending you. You need to go. What comfort it must have been to them to know that the Almighty God knows about them. And though there were soldiers with weapons chasing them, there were the people chasing them out of towns because they knew they were Christians and that might attract the authorities there and that would bring trouble for people around. The citizens would chase these Christians out of town. They knew that Almighty God knew what was happening to them because He had already chosen them and He had put them there and He was scattering them around. And even though they might lose their bodies, God would never let them go because He had chosen them before time and He would hold them through that life and on into eternity to be with Him again. You see, it's not about, it's not about physical bodies. It's about a spiritual relationship with the living God. And that is why we as believers don't have to fear death. Because we are in the hands of Almighty God. And though they take our bodies away, they will never steal our spirit from His hand. He is Almighty God. And Peter, the Apostle Peter will expand on that theme when we come to cherished treasures that God is holding in His hands. We'll get to that later. That's another sermon. But Peter says to them, Take courage. God the Father has set His eyes on you. Like an animal that's being hunted by a cheetah. That cheetah keeps its eyes on that prey and doesn't matter what its body is doing, it will keep its eyes on whatever that person, that um, animal is doing and it will get to it. God will never take his eyes off you and I. Why? Because he's almighty God. He's everywhere at the same time. He can do it. We can't. If you've got children, you'll know that. God knows. and He knows what you're going through, says, the old, says Peter to them. Take courage. The Father has foreknowledged you. Secondly, we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is also involved. If you look at your text, you'll see there that they are chosen by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. The election plan of the, of the Father becomes reality in the life of the believer through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He does a work of sanctifying them. Now, sanctification is a big word, but sanctifying means three things. There are three things that happen when you are sanctified. There's a separation, there's a consecration for a specific task, and then there is holiness that is taught us. Three things. The Spirit firstly separates the sinner from darkness, he brings out us from that state of being dead spiritual corpses and He brings us into light. He does that when He sanctifies us. And then He brings us from a state of unbelief, of not believing in God. He puts it into us so that we start to believe. And that's the step of faith that you take when you say, I choose to, to believe you. I choose to follow you. So that's the work of separation. He breathes spiritual life into us. And then, and then what He does is He consecrates. He sets you and I apart to serve God and to worship Him. He's, he does that in us. And then He brings us to holiness. 
That's the third part of sanctification. And that means mercifully separating you and I from a love of sin and giving us a love of righteousness. And you'll know what that struggle's like. The Holy Spirit has to bring us to holiness. When you become a Christian, you're not immediately holy. Unless I see Colin, he's got a bit of a halo around him. But the, the rest of us, the, the, the Lord is bringing us to a holiness, a being like His Son. He separates us from a love of sin. We still sin, right? But He takes away that love of sin and He gives us a deeper and deeper love of His things and love of righteousness until we become like His Son. It's an ongoing process, so take courage. God isn't finished with you and I yet. He's still working through us. Turn with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Let's see what this work is that the Spirit is doing inside of us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Again, God's Word speaking. This is truth. Here's a description of what happens in us. This work of holiness. Verse 11 of chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared. What is that? The grace of God has appeared? Jesus Christ and what He did for us. Bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. We've got instructions. There they are. We are to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age. Not just that, but looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There is hope because we are looking forward to a fantastic and amazing event that's coming in our future. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Christ made this possible. We can live like this because Christ did it. And to purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There's the work of the Trinity in us. The Holy Spirit separates us, consecrates us, and then day by day makes us holy does that holiness in us. Why? Because you and I have been chosen, our text carries on, to obey Jesus Christ. There is purpose in our salvation. God didn't just put us on earth and say, that's it, you're a believer, it's all done. Now just wait, I'll come again and then you can go to heaven. No. There's purpose in our salvation. We are to be obedient to Jesus Christ. There's responsibility on our side. Jesus said these words, and these are burnt into my heart. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. The contra of that is true too. If you don't obey me, you won't obey my commandments. Now apply that to your life. Which one of those are you living up to or trying to living up to? 
John Calvin said it this way, as only he could. It was not your obedience that made you elect, but you were chosen that you might obey, and obey through the working of the Spirit. We were chosen to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit has done His work of separation in us. But the question is this morning, if you're sitting here today, are you truly born again? Has the Spirit done His work of separation in your heart? And I'm not asking how long have you been coming to church. The question is, are you born again? And every time when I meet people, they'll say to me, Hi, I come from this and this church. My second question to them is, Are you born again? How is your spiritual life with God? Not which church have you been and which church are you coming into. Are you born again? That's the important question. And so all of us need to be asking ourselves that question. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're younger than a teenager, whether you're the oldest person here, are you born again? Has the Spirit done that work of separation in your life? Because if not, you're still sitting here in a state of unbelief. And you will go to what is coming to you that God is preparing for you. Has He done that work in you? And if you're a believer here today, there's a second question for you. Is He doing His work of holiness in your life? Is He doing that work of separating you from a love of sin and bringing you to a love of righteousness? How do you know if He's doing that? Ask someone. Ask your best friend, ask your spouse, and here's the scary one, ask your children. Tell me, do you think that there's a difference in my life from last year to this year? Make it easy on yourself, just last year to this year, alright? Ask your children. Get them on a good day, alright? But ask them. And you, you know, children don't... They'll tell us straight up, without coating anything, they will tell you whether they see a difference in you. Your spouse will tell you whether they see a difference in you. Is the the Spirit doing that work in you? Can you see the difference in your own life when you think back on your life? We see there's a third person of the Trinity involved in our election. We are chosen to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That moment when you had that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and and when you said, yes, Lord, I choose to follow you, that moment was answered by your being cleansed and sealed by the precious blood of the Lamb, by Jesus himself. Because he paid the ultimate price. He paid the only acceptable price that his father would accept and that was a perfect sacrifice. Christ did that. He paid by shedding his blood on that cross for you. And when he did that, the moment you come into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood is is poured out on you and it saves you. It seals you before the Father. It marks you eternally that you are one of God's elect. Your election is confirmed and guaranteed. 
and not just that, God's new covenant is at that very moment activated with you. And He will hold on to you and take you through this life and take you to be with Him until forever you will be with Him. He's for, you are forever one of God's own. We're not just sealed by His blood. Our text says we are sprinkled with Christ's blood. Now where does that come from? Let's go back to Scripture. Exodus chapter 24. If you turn with me, Old Testament. Exodus chapter 24, verses 3 to 8. This is where we'll find this answer. We are sprinkled with Christ's blood. Back here in Exodus chapter 24, we see that this is where Moses sacrificed animals on behalf of the people and then sprinkled their blood on the people and on the sacrifices as a symbol of sealing their covenant with God as they promised to obey God's word. Let's look at that. Exodus 24 verses 3 to 8. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Here we're getting to it. Verse 6. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. I think we should end our services like that every Sunday. And so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Moses sprinkled not just the sacrifices but also the people with his blood. And in the same way in the New Testament, when Christ died for us, he sprinkles every single believer with his blood, sealing the covenant between them and the Father. We are sealed by Christ's blood into a new covenant with him, We are His elect at that moment. And the end result of all this knowledge, as these people were reading this letter that the the Apostle Peter sent to them, what was the end result? Peter states it there. He says, as you come to grips with these truths, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You see, their peace was based on something outside of themselves. It was based on understanding this truth about God and then applying these truths into their lives by faith and then God would give them that peace. It's not just a thing which falls out the air. It was based on something. It was based on God and His promises. Peter prays that as they understand these treasures and as they apply these truths into their lives, even though they're running around fearing for their lives, that God will give them His enabling grace. And that's that word in the original. It's, it's a grace with action. It's His enabling grace. 
for their daily living. They need to know we are not on our own. When I cannot go further one step more, then God comes and He gives me enabling grace. When I come before Him and say, Lord, I cannot carry on any more from here, then He gives you that strength for one more step. And then you cry to Him, Lord, help me. And He gives you the strength for one more step. And one more step. And another step. Until you get through that difficult period in your life. And until He then lifts you up and gives you that strength which lifts you and you get the strength of eagles in you. That is enabling grace. It's a real thing. You know, Alice and I really experienced this. Last time, a few years ago, some of you will remember, Claire went for major back surgery. And we were sitting outside that nine-hour operation, sitting outside the the theatre, and there was a, a grace and a peace which was given to us, which surpasses understanding, but which was so tangible we could feel it. We were nearly getting worried because we weren't worried. That's human beings, isn't it? It is a tangible peace. And I know Jeff, I've spoken to him. He knows what that is. You can nearly feel it physically. God enables us. He gives us peace. It's a peace which is a heart peace. And in the original document, if you go and look over there, you'll see that that word peace there is a heart peace. It's not just a superficial one. It's one that the Holy Spirit gives us. It comes from Him into us and then out. It's a heart peace. God enables us. Now you can ask the question, so I've read all these truths, but that... How does it apply to me? The, the two words, so what, come to mind. What effect should this truth have on me? And what effect should this truth have had on these early believers? I believe there are three things, very shortly. Firstly, these truths should humble you and I. They should humble us. Why? Because way before time before we could have anything to do with it, God the Father chose me. And He knew me. And He had something for me to do in this plan of salvation of His. Nothing in me drew His attention. It was all of Him. Look what happened to Abram. Abram was in the Ur of the Chaldees. He was just a nomad living over there. And then God chose him and took him out of that situation. And when Abram trusted him with the faith that God gave him, then God changed his name, gave him a task, called him Abraham and then sent him off with a nation. God chose him. There's nothing special about him. He was just a nomad. And the same with me. Jesus Christ died for me on the cross even when I still hated him. He died for me. He had such a great love for me. And the Spirit, one day when I was in year nine at a camp, the Holy Spirit drew me to him. He opened my spiritual eyes He opened my ears and for the first time I really heard the word because it went straight to my soul. God called my name and he said, I love you. I want you to serve me. And then I came and I said, yes, Lord, I choose to serve you. Why? Because God had already been doing that in my heart. Secondly, when we understand these truths, should give us a great love and a growing day-by-day love for God. Why? 
because he saved me based on his own mercy and grace. Nothing that I could do could earn this. But the question you and I have to ask ourselves is, have we forgotten about God in our daily lives? Have I remembered my first love? Think of that first time when you for the first time saw the light, when your soul was opened up and you suddenly had spiritual sight. Don't you remember that day? The psalmist, the hymn writer writes, Everything, the skies above were, were brighter blue and the green was greener green. I can't remember the words now. But wasn't it like that? Everything was suddenly so clear. There was this great love for God. Do you still remember that day? We need to return back to our first love. Because it's so easy to forget Him day by day. We need to have a greater love for Him. And then thirdly, it should stimulate us to evangelism. Why do I say that? Because one day God called me by name and I came to him. I know that. And God has given us a task to do. He said, now you go out and you go and tell others about me. And that's all you need to do. That is your responsibility. Tell them about me and live that life before the world. And then I will do the rest. There's no drama involved here. I don't have to put it, give a whole dramatic thing about what the gospel message is. There's no dramatics. I don't need to coerce anyone into believing. There's no pressure. God says, proclaim the word, live it, and I will do the rest. Why? Because God's word says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, not by my clever presentation of the gospel. I need to just give it to someone, and God will do the rest. And I've spoken nearly ad nauseum already about those DVDs available at the back over there with a gospel message on them. Take them, give them to someone, present them with that gospel and then pray for them and be available so that they can talk to you. God will do the rest, but we have to take that first step of speaking to people and living the word. And then I just want to finally, as we close this morning, speak to those who might be here who don't believe at all. You haven't yet come into a place where you can say that I know Jesus Christ. I know him myself. He's called me by name. You can't say that yet. But you are here today. And that's the encouraging thing. You know why? Because you might think that you just came here and you decided to come here today, but actually the Lord's brought you. And the question that you might be asking is, how can I know whether I am one of those whom God has chosen? That's quite complicated, Calvin. How do I know that I'm chosen? I've heard this gospel message, but I don't know. Am I one of those that God has chosen? Well, the only answer I can give to you this morning is the following. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Saviour. That is the only answer I can give you. Why? Because it's only when you take that step of faith, of saying, yes, Lord, I don't understand all of this, but I want to follow you. I want you to be my God and my Savior. It's only when you take that step of faith that you will find that God has chosen you. You see what comes first? You've got to take that step of faith. And then you will see that God has chosen you. 
and that the Spirit has brought you to salvation when you come to that point of faith, and that the, the Son has cleansed you with that blood that was shed for you. It's only that when you look back on your life and when you've submitted yourself to Christ as Savior that you will know that you've been chosen. There's a warning for you too today. If you hear God's voice today, don't harden your heart. Don't harden. When we understand all of this in those two verses this morning, then we can also understand what the Apostle Paul says when he says this. Listen to these words. For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord, with the Apostle Paul, we say this morning, from you and through you and to you are all things. It is all about your glory. But Lord, if we are believers here today, we can only say thank you, Lord, that you did one day call us by name because your Spirit was already working in us and you had already chosen us way back in eternity for a specific purpose of taking out your Word and serving you. Thank you, Lord. It was nothing of us. It was all of you. All for your glory. Thank you that you did that work. Thank you that you brought us new life. That you breathed in life where there was only death. And that you day by day, Lord, bring us to a love of righteousness. And yes, Lord, we have to say before you today that we so often forget you and that we go our own way and that we live lives of sin before you. And we don't see how great our sin is before you. But Lord, thank you that you with your Spirit bring us back. And sometimes you use hard means to bring us back. But you turn our heads to you. And you make us to be more like your Son. And when we look back on our lives, we can see that you have been at work. It's your grace at work. Your enabling grace. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone here that might not know you. I want to pray that today will be the day when they have come to hear the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, that He's the only way who can make, He's the only one who has made a way to the Father, that there is no other way to have a relationship with you, Lord. It is through no other religion. It is, through not, it is not able to be done by them being good people before you but that they need to humble themselves before you and come and confess their inabilities and their sin before you and, and bring themselves before you and be transformed as your Spirit does work in them. Lord, I pray, may there be one such person here today who will want to know you and come into that relationship. But Lord, in this week I pray, Keep us faithful to the task you've given to us as you've scattered us. Help us to know that we've been scattered but that you know that where we are 
you know what we're going through and you know the mission you've given to us, may we remember that we are here to live the gospel message to those around us. May we not get so caught up in the busyness of our lives that we forget why we are here. Help us to serve you faithfully, to love you with an increasing love so that you can pour out your mercies on us and glorify your name through us. To you be all the glory we pray. Amen.